What's going on, Player Profiler Nation? Welcome to the latest episode of the Future Cast. I am your co-host, Matty Kiwum, joined by my man, the OG, Theo Greminger. And we have a very, very special guest today, Ian Miller from the 33rd team. Boys, what's happening? So stoked. Uh, so stoked that, that we're able to get this in. Uh, you know, it's early in the new year, but Maddie, this is this is like number three for us in terms of the mm-hmm. rookie drafts. And uh, we had such a great time with Cody Carpenter. Big shout out to Cody. Um, but I had Ian on the Dynasty Life uh, earlier this year, and he crushed it. And I said, Ian, uh, we want to really get you on for some of this rookie stuff. I said, when are you ready with your rookie rankings? He's like, I'm ready, man. I'm already ready. <laughs> so Ian, Ian's all about that life. Um, highly recommend Ian's work over at the 33rd team. All of the work at the 33rd team is free right now. I think a lot of people at Player Profiler are, are aware of Josh Larkey's work. The work that Josh Larkey does on the redraft side, Ian is doing on the dynasty side. I mean, Ian, you're putting out a ton of content. Your rankings are up there. You're continually updating your dynasty rankings. And you've started to drop your rookie rankings articles. Um, why don't you tell everybody about what you're dropping and uh, what you have coming up at the 33rd team? Yeah, so every single week this year, we're updating our dynasty rankings. And then uh, right when the season ended, we're like, it is rookie time. So we started just hammering out the rookie ranks. The quarterback's already on the site. The running back's already on the site. Wide receivers drop on Wednesday this week, and the tight ends will drop Friday. And we'll get a nice little, you know, cumulative early rookie rankings all put together next week. Yeah, it's really good stuff. And uh, I dropped my top 24 uh, rookie rankings for single quarterback leagues. You can find that at playerprofiler.com. We'll put that in the show description. And Maddie Kiwum has been covering the NFL draft uh, mm-hmm. at playerprofiler.com. We're going to put that that link in with his with his uh, first round projection for the NFL draft. But Maddie, you're also dropping a new podcast called Blue Chips. You've got how many episodes in the in the mix now? Two or three? We're already two in the hole. Episode three will be coming out this week. Episode one really talked about the bowl games, the players I was excited to watch uh, from the New Year's Eve and New Year's Day six. Uh, the episode two was a recap of my mock draft 1.0. Um, mock draft 2.0 will be dropping probably pretty soon because I want to get one out that establishes that top 18 that we know is set in stone now. There's no more if ands, or buts when it comes to 1 through 18. That's set in stone. So I want to get 2.0 out pretty soon. But Blue Chips will be coming with Episode 3 this week. Look for a Player Profiler's YouTube channel and on your podcast feed Friday. Yeah, Blue Chips is really, really good stuff. If you enjoy what you're hearing at the Futurecast, if you enjoy hearing you know what we're putting out, Sonic Truth and Dynasty Life in terms of this rookie coverage, Maddie's going even deeper. Um, and it's it's just tremendous. You know, you've gotten off to such a great start, Maddie. I'm stoked for what you have the rest of the year. But guys, we got to talk about it. We are recording this show on Tuesday. When this drops as a podcast and this drops on as a stream, I'm not sure. But we're recording Tuesday night. And last night on Monday, we had the national title game, guys. Addy. And it was a big letdown because, you know, Washington got steamrolled. And I see my man Ian lives out in Pac-12 territory, now Big 12 territory. But Ian, <laughs> Ian, if you're, if you're listening on the podcast, is rocking – about the hardest hat I've ever seen in my entire life. He's rocking a Rose Bowl game 2006, which was Vince Young against the mob at USC. Uh, we've seen the Pac-12 teams make it to the national title game a few times recently. Uh, I think it was about 10 years ago we had an Oregon Ducks team play Ohio State. And they, the last night's Michigan game and the Oregon-Ohio State game, they're like identical beatdowns, fellas. This yeah. is the end of the Pac-12. 
your thoughts on the national title game, Ian, is this what you thought would happen? Or did you think this was going to be a lot, lot closer? Because I sure did. Uh, shoot. I mean, it felt a lot less close than it really was. I mean, we were mid-fourth quarter, and somehow it was a seven-point game when you're kind of watching it. It was kind of a beat down from the start. Um, I remember watching that, too, and a group of the bar full of Husky fans, so it was kind of a letdown for everybody. But uh, <laughs> no, I remember when they started just bursting with those runs. I was like, shoot, Washington already has a bad pass defense, and if if they can't stop the run at all to start this game, it might be a long night. But somehow, even with all those blunders, Michael Penix probably tanking a little bit of his draft stock yesterday, somehow still found it to be a seven-point game there at the end. But I wouldn't say it was the prettiest of all games I've watched, especially from the side I was rooting for. Yeah, and and Maddie Kiwum, like we we talked about this that, that this was like super disappointing, but Michigan ran for the most yards anybody's run against Washington. Uh, against Washington for the entire season in the first half. I mean, what's going on, man? It, what it looked like, unfortunately for us fans, was it looked like when the SEC team plays the non-SEC team that we've just seen a whole lot throughout the last 10 years, where it was just like the big the big kids were on Michigan, the little kids were on Washington, and they just dominated in the trenches. But I think more than that, what Harbaugh had done throughout the entire playoffs was set the tone. And I know that's like a washed up kind of cliche term, but it was so important for this team because they weren't built to come back. They weren't built to come back from a 21 point deficit. They were built to get a lead and play bully ball. And they showed it from play one in the semis when they brought the house on Jalen Milrow. And I truly believe I cannot prove this, but I do believe that the, Center quarterback issues that Bama had throughout the entire night was predicated on that very first play when, before they could even get remotely settled, Michigan was like, we're here and we're coming. They did the exact inverse of that in the championship game where they got the ball first, and then they were able to break a big touchdown to go up 7 nothing, stop the, the Huskies on a couple of drives, go up 14 nothing, and it was like, oh, my God, when the sled is moving, it's tough to stop that momentum. And my and Michigan was just able to bully. Just it looks like when you know when the Detroit Lions played the Chargers early in the year, and everyone knew that that game was over. When the first play of the game, they needed two yards from Dave Montgomery, and he was able to go three without being touched. That entire offensive line pushed the Chargers back. That's what it felt like. It just felt like these boys are going to be in for a long night. Like Ian said. They had a tough pass defense to begin with. So the fact that they couldn't even stop the run was just like, man, this is going to be ugly quick. And, of course, in true fashion, we were all watching it. I, I had a bet in. I put a bet in to go to overtime. Just I thought the teams were so evenly matched. Could happen. And the odds were so good. So when they were down one touch, I'm like, come on, Penix, hit a Dunze for a big one. Come on. And they just couldn't do it. Then that pick six happened. Pick six happened, and it was just it was over. The fourth quarter was celebratory mode for the Michigan almost throughout. Yeah, it's it was it was, you know, like like Ian said, it was a, a seven point game that didn't really feel like one. You never yeah. like thought it was a doubt for Michigan. And yeah, Penix definitely lost some some value. He missed Roma Dunze on two touchdowns. But Ian, let's let's touch base on on Adunze because I thought Adunze walked away from this game checking off the boxes. He could have potentially had a much larger game. Maddie and I are very high on him. This, you know, you guys haven't done your overall rankings at uh, the 33rd team, but in single quarterback leagues, 
Where do you see him falling in line for you? Uh, and your thoughts on him as a player? Yeah, so right now I have him as wide receiver three of the class. Yeah. But it's one of those wide receiver threes where <clears throat> you're talking about wide receiver one, wide receiver two are basically spotless profiles, honestly. So, yes, yeah, so Dunze is wide receiver three, but he's not in that same tier as we talk about Marvin Harrison Jr. and Malik Neighbors. And I do have him kind of bunched in a little bit more with guys like Troy Franklin, uh, Xavier Worthy. The difference with Odunze is we're talking about someone who could go top 10 in the draft. We could have three wide receivers go top 10 in the draft. And part of the reason why I don't have Odunze in that column is we're talking about someone who he didn't quite get going off to as fast of a start in terms of career-wise as the other two did. We kind of had to wait for that junior season for a real Odunze breakout. And then him to just come on the scene this year and really show that he's a top 10 pick. And unfortunately, it was a senior year. So it's one of those things where one of what I like to do with my process is I don't like to compare, you know, a 21-year-old season to a 19-year-old season. I prefer to, prefer, uh, to compare those two other 21-year-old seasons because especially, you know, at the college level, the difference between 21 and 22-year-olds is a big difference than 18 and 19-year-olds coming into the league. Um, so that's one of my few knocks that I have on Dudze. But again, we're talking about a top 10 wide receiver who's been productive the last couple of years. I mean, wide receiver, the class, I feel like is pretty safe bet at this point. Yeah, I, I agree with you. One guy that Matty Kiwum and I um, are higher on than you that had a very strong game again last night and a strong game against Alabama is Blake Corum. Blake Corum, I have his running back three in my running back rankings. Matty, where do you have him? Um, let me pull it. I believe I have a, a running back four right now. Wait a minute. So we're both in that top four mix. Ian, you had him lower ranked uh, among your running backs, and you actually had Donovan Edwards ahead of him. Now, last night, Donovan Edwards broke off two big plays, made you look really, really smart with that ranking. But at the end of the day, uh, Corum's been the much better producer. Maybe talk a little bit about your thoughts on Corum. What keeps him a little bit further down in your rankings? And your thoughts on Edwards, and do you think Edwards declares? I hope Edwards declares, but going to Corum, I do have him a bit lower. Part of my thing was, although it was unfortunate last year, he suffered the injury, and there's still hopes that he was going to declare and go into the draft, and he went back to Michigan for a senior season. Now, the thing with Blake Corum is that, at least looking on the projections from Mock Draft Database, which is where they aggregate all these mock drafts, and at this point is probably the most accurate thing we have to assume what draft, draft capital could be. If we look at all running backs they have in the top four rounds, he's the second oldest, only trailing Ray Davis. So when you get those really old prospects, I do get a bit wary. Um, but if the NFL says, hey, this is – I don't think he's a second-round guy. Uh, we haven't seen any really projection say that. If he can just be a third-round guy, I think he kind of moves up the rankings for me. But one issue I know we're going to talk about Edwards is when why I like Edwards more is, yes, Corm's been the better rusher when they played together. But one thing is Corm hasn't actually like dominated a workload where you're like, okay – because one thing when we talk about running backs in the NFL or in fantasy football, the average target share for a running back one, a top 12 running back in the past five years has been 12 or 11.8%. So you need someone who's going to, you know, get receptions, earn their work in the receiving game. And that's something that at least Donovan Edwards has done. It's, even in disappointing years, we're talking about back-to-back 10% uh, target shares. When Corum's played with Edwards the past two years, we're talking about a 3.5% target share and a 4.9% target share. I don't think there's any doubt at this point that Corum's probably the better rusher. But when you mix that with the fact that he's 23 years old, he has had a major injury, which when we talk about draft capital, we don't know where that puts him quite yet. And we just 
haven't really seen that explosion, at least of adequacy from the receiving game uh, that you'd probably want to see if you're like, okay, this is a future running back one in fantasy football. I love it. Maddie, anything to add regarding Edwards and Corum? Um, and kind of where do you see Corum ending up being drafted in terms of the NFL? I think Ian kind of – I think I'm going – I agree with Ian in terms of he's probably a long shot for round two. I, my gut just tells me that the NFL is going to love Corum throughout the process because I just feel – you know, when you look at the rankings – and a running back that comes to mind for me was Brian Robinson. Everyone was out down on Robinson, and it was just like, well, he's pretty good. Look what he did as a senior. It's like, yeah, but he's 30. But then he got a shot, and now he's you know in our top 20 dynasty rankings at running back that we had a discussion today, Theo, about. And it's just like I think that the NFL likes these kids, and then the, the age window becomes less and less of concern because at running back we're looking at, what, three years? That's what we care about. It's getting less and less. The NFL's telling us they care less and less. So I, I think the NFL is going to love Corum, and that's why I got, them, got him right now at four. Uh, right now I got Donovan Everage as my running back nine, but there's this weird – Kind of, I, I my gut tells me he goes back to Michigan, and I think if he truly declares, I think that could give him a bump even at that. And I think that once we get to the true thick of it, the combine, I think Edwards could sail all the way up into my, you know, hover my top five. It's going to be tough to climb top my my number five running back, Bucky Irving, because I love Irving, but he's super landing spot dependent because I really need him to go to a team that throws the running backs because he's shown to be so good with over 50 receptions at Oregon this past year that if he goes to a team that doesn't throw to the running backs it will ding his value a little bit in my rank so uh that's where he could get to the top five but I'm not down on Edwards I guess I'm just looking at it through this weird bias lens I don't think he comes out so I haven't given him that type of credence but I liked him more than Corum coming into the 2023 season so I could leave the door open for that if the process kind of dictates that for me well, no table talk. Don't talk Bucky Irving before we're about to draft, fellas, because Ian Miller is going to be on is going to be OTC with the 101 uh, when we come back from word from our sponsors. We're going to rip through 24 picks. Ian's going first. Maddie, who's going second? Me or you? I gave it to you. I went age okay. over. Beauty. All right. Thank you. Thank you. There we go. All right, guys. When we hear uh, we hear quick word from our sponsors, we're going to be back. We're ripping through a draft. This episode is brought to you by Rival Fantasy. Rival Fantasy, the coolest fantasy platform not enough people know about, but they will once I'm done, baby, because they're always innovating. They just rolled out seasonal leagues. We set them up for patrons, for our listeners, and they funded over $1,000 in payouts. That's what Rival's all about. They're always innovating. They already had the fantasy book where you can take overs and unders, stack them up, multiply your payout, but then they added challenges so you can set your own lines and put them out there for the community and then you can browse the community's lines and say hey this guy's crazy i'm gonna take the other side it's cool and they have fantasy bingo rival fantasy is reminding me how much fun i can have with fantasy football and use that promo code player the promo code is player they give you a 100 instant deposit match plus 25 dollars plus a free play that promo code is player for up to 125 dollars in deposit bonus and a free play you can't beat it. Welcome back to Futurecast. Theo Greminger with Matty Kiwum and our special guest, Ian Miller of the 33rd team. Ian, you got the 101 here. Everybody knows the player you're going to pick. It's going to be Marvin Harrison Jr. But after you make your pick, uh, Ian, 
why don't you talk about where he's going to fall in line, landing spot averse in your dynasty rankings? You made this an easy for me. You gave me the 101. I didn't yeah. have to do much thinking. It's Marvin Harrison Jr. I mean, in terms of my process, we're talking about a player. One thing that I like to do is bucket players based on their profile to where you can look at like, okay, here's a ceiling, here's a floor, here's the most likely outcome. He's in such a rare bucket or pacing to be in one that the only receivers in it are Calvin Johnson, Julio Jones, and Jamar Chase. Like he, he is the generational wide receiver that people have been clamoring for. And there's no reason not to take him here in one QB. He's someone who slots easily into the top five dynasty wide receivers. And one thing that I actually think is pretty nice about how this draft, uh, the 2024 draft has laid out so far is that there's a good chance that the top three picks are quarterbacks. The two picks after that are the Arizona Cardinals, which I don't think is a bad landing spot, and the Los Angeles Chargers, which I think is an absolute awesome landing spot. I won't spoil, you know, the 102 or other landing spots for those kind of guys, but when you have a wide receiver who could possibly fall to one of those two teams after quarterbacks are selected, I think you're looking at something where you're not in a bad landing spot at all. At worst, it's mediocre with a generational wide receiver prospect. So he's the clear 101, a top five dynasty wide receiver as soon as he gets drafted. I love it. And I'm at the 102 right now. Uh, you brought up the fact that this is a two clear wide receivers at the top. I'll make it very easy. I'm going to go Malik Neighbors here. I think Malik Neighbors does go to the Los Angeles Chargers. It makes absolutely too much sense. I'll say the Chargers could also take take another guy who Matty Kiwum might draft here at the 103. But I think Neighbors, like his floor is like 108, 109. I think he's that good where he's going to go in the top 10 of the NFL draft. He's a truly elite prospect. He's incredibly versatile. You can line him up anywhere on the field. He's incredibly productive. Uh, it's he's a stud. He's a wide he's wide receiver one overall in pretty much every other class besides this one. Easy pick for me, Malik Neighbors at the 102. To my man Matty Kiwum at the 103. So I just need to ask this question to you, Ian, and you, Code uh, OG here. Whoa, whoa, we... whoa, 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 whoa! Not <laughs> with Cody too much. I, this and, is and, well, he was on. The, he was on the last two shows too. So I guess my brain just it's went okay. there. It's okay. It's uh, okay. Theo and Ian, I gotta ask this question. Good thing I didn't mess up the, the guest name. I've done that before. Very, very embarrassing. What the heck is going on at Ohio State right now? Why has no one declared? How has Judkins? transferred to Ohio State, and Henderson has yet to come out. What is going on? Should we be getting nervous that these kids want to stick around for one more go-round at a national title? What is happening? Ian, Ian, and, Ian and I talked in the, in the pre-show about Henderson. Ian, why don't you share your thoughts on Henderson, whether he's going to come out or not? Yeah, I mean, I was a bit nervous. Still am. You know, you're always nervous until you get that official word. But when I saw that Quinshawn Judkins was visiting Columbus for a visit, my instant thought went to, I think that means Trevion Henderson is declaring in one of two ways. Either they understood he's privately telling people, which I think is the most likely scenario. He's privately telling people they know he's going to the NFL draft. I think the more unlikely scenario, but still one that works for us, is they just want an upgrade at the running back position. And Trevion Henderson probably has well enough draft capital projections right now. NFL likes him enough to where – even if that's the case, he goes, all right, I'm out. I'm not going to you know, take a more disappointing year, less usage. I think basically everything points to Trevion Henderson probably declaring at this point. He's got to declare, right? I he's going to declare, Gus. He, he's going to declare. He has to declare. This is the way I see it. He is the linchman 
for me because if he stays, you have to throw all logic because he has no logical reason to stay in college. When the running back class is better next year, he's going to be sharing a backfield with not only uh, Judkins, but the, the the kid that they're returning, is he's going to warrant touches. There's no logical reason for him to stay. The only reason for him and Egbuka and Harrison to stay is because they want to beat Michigan and they want to go for a national title. And if that is the case, logic goes out the window. They also are going to make a nice little little chunk of change with the NIL money uh, oh, if they yeah. come back to Columbus too, Matty Kiwum. Um, oh, money on the table. Fire us away at the 103, though, Matty. So I am going to go the, – the choice between for me was between a Dunsey and Brock Bowers, but I will go with Brock Bowers here at the 103 uh, because when I see his potential landing spots, I could see it being anywhere to the fifth pick to the uh, of the Chargers, uh, and I, I think his floor is 18 to the Bengals. Uh, and in both of those landing spots, I would celebrate it. The Jets pop up. The New Orleans Saints will be a possibility. All of those landing spots, I think, are great for a guy that we have been clamoring over for years. And I think that the rookies in 2023 have paved the road to be fully excited on Brock Bowers because his biggest downfall was his size, 6'4", 240. We've seen Laporta. We've seen Kincaid flash. We've even seen Michael Mayer flash, and all of those tight ends are 6'4", 240 and Bowers is more athletic. He's used more, he has a more versatile skill set. I think that this draft capital is going to be exciting. It's going to be in the top 10, if I had to guess. But like I said, even at 18th to the Bengals, who wouldn't want Bowers with Joe Burrow? Absolutely. Uh, Ian, uh, and last time we did this, Matty, you made the argument for Bowers at the 102. I think if you're in a heavily tight end premium format, uh, you know, that's a consideration. I just think neighbors is just so good. They're this really a, it's a top three tier. I think that the three guys are just it's a very elite top three. Ian, would you agree that there's a drop from three to four in terms of the value in a single quarterback league? Value, possibly, but as far as I see it, and now Maddie set it up, I thought after his question there at 103, he was stepping up to take Travion Henderson. But that's who I'm going to take it for, and I don't think it's Love too that. big of a drop-off at all. Because I, I think as long as he declares, we're looking at someone who's probably a second-round pick. He has a very strong profile. His freshman year was crazy. I mean, just a couple years ago, we were talking about Travion Henderson. Like, just wait for the 2024 class. This running back is an absolute stud. He had an injury riddled, a little bit disappointing sophomore year, but it was all back this year. Wildly efficient, handled the workload. I mean, from the rushing perspective, we're talking about someone last year who took – 43.9% of the carries and turn that to 68.2% of the team's rushing yards, just wildly efficient at Ohio state. And it showed, and I mean, his one of the best pure rushers in the country, according to PFF. And he's also someone who's getting an adequate target share at the uh, college level at 7.5% this last year, showing that he has bell cow usage, apply that bell cow usage with second round draft capital and we're talking about a running back who could be in running back one conversation whether he's drafted a few games into his rookie year especially at the running back position where just age and some production absolutely vaults you up in value he's someone that i'm definitely looking to take at 104 if he's not taken at 103 and he was wildly productive at ohio state i put out a tweet the other day that there's only been 13 running back prospects to post multiple 22 point per game seasons before turning 21 years old and 69% of them, nice, have posted RB1 seasons in fantasy football. 
that's something Travion Henderson did. And that's something where when you look at this profile, you look at the likely draft capital, this is someone who could be in contingency for running back one in dynasty a few months from now, a year from now. I love it. I like the, I like the bold call. And with Matty Kiwum taking Trevion Henderson last time we did a mock draft and Ian Miller taking him this time, shout out to Trevion Henderson. We want you to declare for the NFL draft. Please, please, please makes these drafts a lot, lot better. Uh, but you, you gave me a layup here because I would have taken him at the 104, but at the 105, I'm going to easily take Roma Dunze. Uh, again, we're talking about a wide receiver with size, a wide receiver with speed, a wide receiver with production. And like Ian said, he's going to have the draft capital too. This is a potential top 10 pick in the NFL draft. There's a couple of nice spots in there, you know, in the second half, like when you get past the Chargers that start looking pretty appealing for a player like Roma Dunze. And guys, we could be talking right now about how Roma, Dun- Roma Dunze had two touchdowns, including a bomb in the national championship game if Michael Penix would have you know, been a little bit better. So uh, this was easy. I think that this was a an easy 105 for me with a Dunze. I would take him at the 104. With the uh, the 106 here, I am up. So it comes between three different players now. Two of these players, uh, it, it's a little bit more landing spot dependent based on their profiles. So I'm going to pivot to the running back. I'm going to take my running back one, Braylon Allen. Uh, Braylon Allen, he's a monster. We know that 6'2, 240 pounds. We've seen his uh, re- re- receiving game, his production, receiving game go up each of his three years uh, go- at Wisconsin. And that's something I look for is a progression and a development when it comes to catching passes. He's shown the ability to get better in that case. And the, the thing that I cannot shake about Braylon Allen, and I know this is a little bit hokey and I can't really quantify it yet, but the fact that he declared so early lends me to believe that the council that gives these kids a little bit of uh, consulting work on whether they should go in or they shouldn't go in to the NFL draft must have come up so nice for this kid who's so young. He's going to be incredibly young when the NFL draft comes. So the fact that he declared right away, I mean, he declared the minute you could you could put your name in the NFL draft hat, he declared. So that tells me he got great news from the NFL. I think he's going to test well. His his athletic metrics are going to look great because of his size, and he's been a mega producer from the fact since he was 17 years old at Wisconsin. He has three years under his belt, averaging over a thousand yards per season. I think that this kid's going to be nasty in the landing spots here. They get juicy at the end of the second, which is I I think is where you know in my mock draft uh, when I started billing pulling it out the entire first and second round, I started seeing a couple landing spots at the end of the first that I think will be prime for running backs, and that's Philadelphia and Dallas. So, so that's Ian, get me excited. Ian, Maddie Kewum has Braylon Allen as his running back one in the class. I have Braylon Allen as my running back two. You were lower on Allen as well. Why don't you, before you pick, kind of share your thoughts on Allen? Uh, again, 35 touchdowns, 19 years old, and he's he's a beast. Where are you at on him, though, Ian, in terms of how you view him as a prospect? Yeah, so when it comes to Braylon Allen, you basically nailed it on the head. Super young, still 19 years old, doesn't even turn 20 till later this month. We're talking about someone who also came into college football super raw. Not everyone knows, but he came into college football playing at 17 years old and was recruited to Wisconsin as a linebacker. So he basically came in super raw. And this is someone who right away kind of tilted heads, 17.6 points per game his freshman year. There was turning heads. The part where I got snagged with Braylon Allen, 
is that we never truly saw the development. He's still someone with plenty of upside. I still like him, but he's my RB6, I believe is what I had on the 33rd team because one, the pass catching just never came into fruition. I mean, this is someone whose career high target share at Wisconsin was 7.3% in his best season after years of 4.3 and 6%. So there's a bit of hesitation for me for him as a pass catcher. But even looking at his production, how good he was with it, as funny as it is, his freshman year, 17.6 points per game. Second year, 17.8 per game. Junior year, 17.7 points per game. Basically had the same production every single season. And when we look at carry percentage and his efficiency, it was all relatively similar Besides, he was very efficient as a freshman, but part of that was thanks to a little bit of a lesser workload than he had. But I like Braylon Allen. I think there's upside in there, especially with his age. And if he gets that draft capital, I'm just a bit hesitant putting a premium pick with him right now. Where are you at here at the 107, Ian? This is an interesting range in the draft. A little bit open. Yeah, it is. And I think one thing that happens in one quarterback drafts is that people go, okay, it's one quarterback. So the quarterbacks don't really matter. And while that can be true in general, what matters in one quarterback leagues are still the premium and elite quarterbacks. Like even if you're looking at Superflex, for example, everyone knows Caleb Williams is the 101 because when he comes into the league, he's a first round starting pick, clearly top 10 quarterback. That's someone who I want on my one QB team because you still he's going to be an everyday starter for you in one QB. And you talk about someone who's one of the best prospects we've ever seen and put up ridiculous production in college. I mean, even if you look at his 19-year-old season, he put up 37.3 points per game. The only wide res- or the only 19-year-old quarterbacks to put up at least 35-plus points per game are Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, C.J. Stroud, and Johnny Menzel. In one-quarterback leagues, how many leagues has Lamar Jackson won? How many leagues is C.J. Stroud winning this year? Is Patrick Mahomes winning? They're still winning in leagues. And so when I look at this draft board and I don't see an elite or premier option anymore, give me the quarterback who we have pretty good faith in being elite premier with mega upside. I love that. And actually, it's funny. I had him at at 112 in my article for my top 24, but I said you can consider taking him as high as the 107. And Ian, you take him right there at the 107. I agree with what what you said, the elite production from the quarterback. It's funny because we always like pass these guys up in single QB, and then they immediately gain value once they start playing well with their dynasty value. Maddie, how high would you consider taking Caleb Williams in a single QB league? Uh, is it right about here, or are you a little bit lower there? I'm lower. Uh, it's just my philosophy going into it. I understand um, getting elite prospects at any position matters in fantasy, so I'm not going to discount his talent. But in a one QB, the leagues that I play in, it just feels like more often than not I can fill that that need in much other ways, especially in a draft like this with this draft class. Uh, I would be just much more likely to pick up another receiver or running back here. Uh, but I think that in this range, if you were a QB needy team, I think this is about where he should come off the board. If if you're if you're needing that quarterback spot, or let's say you've been kind of dragging along with the older quarterbacks like uh, Kirk Cousins or Derek Carr or something of that nature. This would be the the point where I'd get excited. But I think in general, I'm not really even thinking about quarterback to the end of the first. Well, Caleb Williams off the board here, and I'm at the 108. And a guy that I would have considered taking like at the the 106 range. Uh, my flag plant in my article is Troy Franklin, who I have as my wide receiver four. I moved him up since the last time Maddie and I 
I did this process. But the more and more I look into Troy Franklin, the more and more there are things to like. I think he's the next like low BMI wide receiver to come into the league and have NFL teams kind of like really excited about him. I think he sneaks into the top 20 in the NFL draft. I think he's every bit 6'3", probably going to weigh like 180, 180 something pounds. But I think he's going to he's going to run somewhere in like the, the high four threes. And I think he's going to get the draft capital. And you're talking about a player who's absolutely electric. And he's also a deep threat. So I think Troy Franklin's the guy I'm getting more and more excited about. When I look at some of the true alpha, big, strong wide receivers that we're going to say their names shortly, those guys seem to me like a little bit more like there's a chance they bust because guys with that profile bust occasionally. Troy Franklin, I don't see him busting. I think he's going to fit into the league. He's going to be a long-term, solid dynasty contributor with potential for big-time upside if he lands well. So lock it in, Matty Kiwum. Troy Franklin off the board at the 108. Love Troy Franklin. I also love where he potentially will come off the board into the first. Some really, really juicy landing spots. Um, here at the 109, though, I'm going to take the guy that uh, – and when I graded out my my receivers, there are four receivers that I think have an alpha-type skill set immediately coming into the league. And the fourth on that list was Emeka Egbuka. Now, he had a down 2022, but his 2021 season – or he had a down 23. His, his 2022 season was electric over, over 1,000 yards, over 1,100 receiving yards. When I watch him play, he reminds me so much of that DJ Moore type of receiver. 6'1", over 200 pounds. He's he's bulky. He's got enough bulk. He's got enough yards after catch. I think he could warrant himself um, a true alpha role. My concern with him is that the down 2023 season pushes him to a second-round draft pick. He was in my second round of my Mach 1.0. At that point, I would probably reconsider this 109 selection, but as right now with everything kind of up in front of us, uh, I'm going to take the profile, the the prospect that I really do uh, believe has a lot of upside with the Mech Egg Buka. And Ian, before you pick, is there anything you want to add on my selection of Troy Franklin or Maddie Ku- Kiwum's selection of Amika Agbuka? Uh, I love the Troy Franklin pick right there. I also think Maddie Kiwum brought up a really good point because he's probably a late first guy. And when you look at the late first, there is some juicy landing spots. Like, for example, we're talking about Troy Franklin at the 108 and one quarterback right now. I think that's totally fair. I like it. How much higher does that go if, say, he goes late first to the Chiefs? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a pretty solid pick where you're looking at something where just landing spot could absolutely vault that value up. And then Igbuka, I mean, I'd love to see him declare. He's the one guy on Ohio State right now who I have the biggest feeling that he's going to return versus Travion Henderson at this point, Marvin Harrison at this point. I think if anyone returns, it's like Buka after having a kind of injury riddled down year, uh, especially for the year that, you know, he had as a sophomore, like, wow, this, this Ohio state wide receiver crew might be absolutely legit. And then Buka kind of had a down year, but I think one Oh nine is a pretty good spot for him. Matty Kiewum's see- got, got a, like has that FOMO where he's worried that Ibuka is going to say, I'm coming back to Ohio State. So Matty Kiewum's trying to get in his Ibuka pick as many times <laughs> possible. Because he took him at the 106 last time. Now you take him at the 109. Please come out. Please declare. Make this a really, really fun rookie rookie draft class, 100%. He has a lot of Chris Olave written all over him in terms of his potential to declare. I think he pulls a Chris Olave and goes back for his senior year. That's. Well, I, I, think I hope Ian's you guys right. are both wrong. I hope you guys Me are both too. wrong. Me too. And it makes this draft class a lot stronger but I think you might be right. Ian, where are you at uh, on this pick? So I'm going to do something, and you guys have just backed me into a corner here, 
and said, hey, you're going to be the quarterback guy in this draft. And you've really forced my hand here. I, I have to be this Ooh, you're guy. You're going spicy here. You're going with a mobile quarterback, it. aren't you? Very and, mobile and quarterback. Even spicier in super flex formats. Drake May is my QB two right now. I think he's a second overall pick. I think he goes behind Williams. I think he has a much higher floor than Jane Daniels. And one quarterback leagues where I'm not as worried about the floor, especially at that quarterback position. Give me Jane Daniels. We we're talking about catastrophic or absolute monstrosity of upside. Like I can't yeah. find a word for yep. it because he has all of it. He put up 46.6 points per game this year, which is absolutely ridiculous. The only first round quarterbacks to put up 45 plus points per game in any college season at any age is him and Lamar Jackson. And Lamar Jackson, like we talked about is winning you one quarterback leagues, especially when they have that season where they're just rushing like crazy, which is well within Jane Daniels range of outcomes. And then just to add one more point on about his passing, because I think one thing went a little underrated. People talk about Joe Burrow and how crazy good he was. And he was. He was a great prospect, even though he had that amazing season at 23 years old. At 23 years old, Joe Burrow had an adjusted yards per attempt of 12.5, which is ridiculously good. At 22 years old, Jane Daniels had an adjusted yards per attempt of 13.6. Ridiculous. It's numbers you won't see. And this is someone we're talking about that is rushing for over 40% of his team's rushing yards. And it has one of the best passing seasons we've ever seen. I don't care that it's one quarterback. I don't care that he's my QB three and super flex. I'm forgetting any sort of floor we have. Give me the ridiculous upside in Jaden Daniels here at 109. 2000 rushing yards over the last two seasons, over 20 rushing touchdowns, 40 touchdown passes. It's silly. And I, Maddie and I talked about this last time. Yeah, you're absolutely right. When it comes to super flex, you can go Drake May, the safety of. But when it comes to single QB, like Jaden Daniels, we don't want to throw out Lamar Jackson. That's a high high bar. But in terms of rushing potential, he has Lamar Jackson-like rushing potential. Maddie, do you agree on that? I completely agree. And I think that as the process goes on, I think the floor that we're afraid of kind of dissipates a little bit. Because if we're talking about May going at the 102 and uh, Jaden Daniels going at the 107, now you're talking about equal draft capital. Now you're talking equal playing field going into their rookie seasons. And what Ian says about his upside cannot be understated. It's tantalizing. It is everything you want in a fantasy monster. The ability to run, the ability to throw, the ability to make plays regardless of his teammates, where I think that Drake May, even Caleb Williams to an extent, is a little bit more landing spot dependent than even a Jane Daniels because at the end of the day, he could pull a Justin Fields. They could be the worst team in the NFL. He could be a top five quarterback in fantasy because of the rushing floor. So I'm here OTC at the 112, and this is very wide open, guys. I think this is a really like this is a really valuable pick right now, especially if it was a you know, if I had back to back in some sort of a snake, uh, which I don't. But I you have I the one eleven, one... by the way, Theo. You have the one eleven. Oh, excuse me. I'm at the one eleven. Excuse me. Snake. Sorry, sorry about don't that. Taking my that. snake. The 111 here, um, and guys, I, this this guy could go with a running back. I could also go with a wide receiver. I'm leaning towards wide receiver, and even here I could make an argument for like three of them. But the one that I'm going to go with, Ian brings up the landing spots at the end of the first round. I think that this player at the end of the process is going to sneak into this level of the draft, and and that's Adonai Mitchell of, of Texas. I think he's got some T. Higgins to him. Cody selected him last time we picked together. I think here – at this end of the first round, it's a it's a better range for him. It's a little less less pressure than like having to take him at like the one hundred and seven. 
but I really like him. He scored a touchdown in three straight uh, for in three straight national football uh, college football playoffs, which is wild. But he scored again, uh, you know, in Texas, lost to Washington, scored twice as a Georgia Bulldog. I, I like this value here. I think this is a good one. I think he's got some dog to him as well. Good pick on this. So now I am gonna I'm, I'm gonna end the first round, and I'm gonna do what I wasn't really expecting to do, but like. Ian said sometimes you get back into a corner, and I'm going to take the third quarterback off the board. I'm going to take Drake May. Uh, with the 112, I am hoping for Jaden Daniels, but since we have such a sharp draft room, I don't have that luxury. Um, I'm looking at the receivers. I'm looking at the running backs. I think there's a grouping um, in both positions that I could attack in the second round, um, especially if I have the 112, assuming I have the 212, all that good stuff. So the Drake man, I'm going to take him here and, and grab the third quarterback in the end of the, of the first round. Yeah. He's going to, he's looking at top three draft capital. Um, and he, he, we might have a little bit of prospect fatigue on him and Caleb Williams, because I feel like of the bunch there, uh, you know, the consensus a little bit more, um, reluctant to be excited about, but I think at the end of the day, as we see these kids throw, we see their pro days, we see their combines, we see them through the process. I think the excitement for Caleb Williams and Drake May will be excited, uh, will be ignited again. So getting Drake May here in the end of the first, I- I'm willing to take it, given that the, the other two guys are now off the board. So just to recap, if you're if you're listening on a podcast, we just finished the, essentially the first round, and it's Marvin Harrison Jr. at the 101, Malik Neighbors at the 102, Brock Bowers at the 103. Ian Miller of the 33rd team takes Trevion Henderson at the 104. Uh, Roma Dunze goes to me at the 105. Maddie Kiwum takes Braylon Allen at the 106. Then Ian Miller selects Caleb Williams at the 107. This is the highest Caleb's gone uh, in one of our single quarterback drafts. I select Troy Franklin at the 8. Uh, Maddie Kiwum takes Amika Ogbuka at the 109. Uh, Jaden Daniels goes to Ian Miller at the 110. Ian is officially a quarterback snob. And I take Adnai Mitchell at the 11, and Matty Kiwum takes Drake May. Uh, Ian, just before we go, uh, two questions for you. In a super flex format, give me your current super flex top four. Uh, essentially, what I'm asking you is where do Marvin Harrison and Malik Neighbors fall in line versus Jaden Daniels and Drake May? Caleb Williams, you're 101. How do you go two through? Let's push to five. Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I think Caleb Williams is the clear number one. I, I don't think there's too many questions about it. But you already start getting questions. The cool thing about the Superflex this year is you already start getting questions where it's who is the 102, and it's in a really stacked draft class. And we're not even talking about which quarterback because Marvin Harrison is someone who is viable a 102 pick. Now, given 102, Drake may go second overall. It's probably Drake may. You know, He's still an elite talent. He's been good at passing and rushing. He's still a Konami quarterback, just not to the level of Jaden Daniels that we talked about earlier. So I think it's May 2. Then I believe you go Harrison. I think Harrison's the guy you don't miss out on, not just surefire studs, but generational upside, no matter what position it is. Then I believe 104 is, especially if Jaden Daniels goes in that top five picks in the NFL draft, He's the 104, and it's probably one of the best 104 picks you've made in recent years. Like, yeah, that's an amazing grab to get at 104. Then you stretch it out to five. That's where I probably go neighbors. And one thing that I've actually been talking about is I don't think the gap between Marvin Harrison and Malik Neighbors is really as big as people think. And I think part of it too is I, I actually one of my favorite tweets because I did get a bit of pushback on it was I posted the career highs 
between Malik Neighbors and Marvin Harrison Jr. And Malik Neighbors has the higher fantasy points per game, higher target share, higher yards per team pass time, yards per run, PFF receiving grade. He has a career high, higher than Marvin Harrison in all those categories. And he is a full year younger than Marvin Harrison. Getting someone like, like Malik Neighbors at the 105 is also probably one of the best fifth picks that you could have made in recent Superflex history. I love it. It's it's super super interesting. And you do you agree that this is a if in Superflex I really want to get myself into that top five. Would you agree that that's like a very safe tier for people that like to make early trades? Yeah, I I I think top five. I think number six and seven aren't close behind. I think. Now, one thing I don't like to do is kind of make these hard edges and then, you know, you always get the draft class or like the late draft season hero, the the, the push. Yeah, the, the, it's January, all that so stuff. say whatever you yeah. want. It's January. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I tried not to in my leagues get too caught up with the numbers, but if I'm looking right now, 105 is probably the legendary kind of absolute league winner territory cutoff. Then you got six and seven, which I think are still plenty elite that be top five picks in any other year. I think seven's where I draw the line for where you don't get these elite profiles anymore. Love it. Maddie Kiewoma, you're going to start it out here at the 201, the 13th overall pick if you're scoring at home. Or are we going to flip it back around? We're going to snake it? We're going to snake it, Maddie? Or are we are going to go back? No, we're to... going to fix it. We're going to let we'll let our guests start off the second round, and we'll do okay. the same order. Ian, you, me, Ian, you, me. Okay. The then that, there we go. We're going to go with Ian Miller here. At the 201, 13 overall, Ian, some really good names here for you. Yeah, I think being at the 201 and having these guys, I mean, if you told me that I was the third pick of the second round, I wouldn't have felt too much differently because I think we got a good amount of guys here who are pretty solid profiles who I'm not differentiating like too much where it's like I got to trade up and get this guy right here or anything like that. I think we've got a lot of good profiles. But the guy that I'm going to take right here is my current RB2 of the class. I'm very curious where draft capital lays out. Because it was very unfortunate, the injury, the season-ending injury that Jonathan Brooks suffered in November probably took a little bit of a hit to the draft stock, but he still declared, which I think says a lot about that the NFL still likes him. He declared early, they still like him, even though he suffered that injury. And when we look at the season that he had before going out, we're talking about a running back that had 23.4 points per game. As a rusher, was one of the best rushers in college football with a 90-plus PFF rushing grade and turned a sub-50% carry percentage into over 60% of the team's rushing yards, 64% to be exact, which is ridiculous. And then the other thing when we talk about true bell cow usage, which we talked about earlier in the show, he had a 9% target share as well. He does it on both sides of the ball. The NFL still likely seems to be very interested in him considering he declared early despite the injury. Jonathan Brooks is a guy who I'm very cool taking at the 201, and I feel like you should be piling up on seconds if if this if this mock draft says anything. Pay attention to what Ian just said, and Maddie said this before as well, but John Lobb and Matt Hicks and Ian Miller, all of, several of our guests have talked about piling up on second-round picks. I think that the fact that the public is so, and not necessarily the public, but the the dynasty community is so down on this running back class that you're going to end up with multiple running backs in this second round, plus a number of very appealing wide receivers that are just sitting there for you. Uh, so second round picks are very, very valuable. I love the pick. I mean, I think if he would have stayed healthy, where you took Henderson is probably where Brooks would have gone. I think there's a chance he would have been the running back one overall. The only thing kind of holding him back is we don't know the injury timeline. But nine months, guys, torn ACL, he could be ready for training camp. Super excited that he declared it makes this draft a lot better. Um, I'm here at the 102, and I could go wide receiver again, 
but I have not gone with a running back yet. And I'm going to go with Blake Corum. Um, again, there's a couple wide receivers who push come to shove. I might prefer, but I think Corum here is just really, really good value. I think like Matty Kiwum talked about, I think he could land very well in the NFL draft. This is a guy who had 25 rushing touchdowns for Michigan in their dream season, returned to school, uh, and had an amazing year. And I think that he's shown enough. He's got the the very solid frame where he's very well built. I think he holds up well in the NFL. And again, like Matty Kiewum said, I think NFL teams are going to like him a lot. High character guy as well. Um, just checks off a ton of boxes. I'm happy to get him here in the early second. Man, I think what, what, what people are going to realize as we continue to do this exercise uh, throughout the process is how important second-round picks are. You are going to be able to rebuild running back rooms, get value all over. Uh, so we see Brooks Corum go one the 201, 202, um, and I think those are fantastic landing spots. With me, with my 203, I'm going to take a, a receiver that has a wide range of outcomes over the next few months. So his his – Landing spot in my rankings could absolutely fluctuate uh, quite a bit, and that is the wide receiver from uh, Texas Xavier Worthy. I have him as, as my wide receiver six. I think he's going to test phenomenally. Uh, we're going to look at potentially the fastest receiver in the class, over a 1,000 yards receiving for this Texas offense, um, former five-star recruit, so he's got the prospect pedigree. Um, I think his ceiling is truly, truly high up there. I think we could see the 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 dubbing of uh, Hollywood Brown 2.0, who was a first-round draft pick. Uh, but I do think his floor is a bit uns- unsafe because of his hands. And, you know, just a shade over two, I think it was a 2.1 route, yards per route run with that speed does concern me a little bit. And, Ian, you had you currently have Xavier Worthy pretty high up in your wide receiver ranks. Why don't you share your thoughts on Worthy, anything you have to add? Yeah, I dropped my wide receiver ranks tomorrow on the 33rd team site, and I have him as the wide receiver five of this class. And nice. kind of like I talked about Travion Henderson earlier, like when we flash back a couple years, how we we're feeling about the 2024 class for those people that followed, you know, that far back. But two years ago at this point, when we were talking about the possibility of the 2024 class, Xavier Worthy was the wide receiver one, and there wasn't a ton of debate about it. He put up 19.8 points per game as an 18-year-old freshman, which is the sixth highest by any freshman ever. Now, the problem is that that ended up being his best collegiate season. So you didn't get this, you know, where the profile just kept exceeding itself. So I think you do have something where the upside is tremendously high. I mean, any freshman that can walk on, put that level of production onto the field right away, someone that can do it in the NFL, and even for his down seasons, he never posted below a 27% target share. And this is someone who we're talking about that this year played alongside a guy who Theo took at the 111 in right. 89 Mitchell. So again, I think Xavier Worthy is pretty good discount here. And actually, if Maddie didn't take him at 203, that was going to be the guy I took at 204. So I love the pick. I love I love the the discussion on Texas, how everybody kind of kept themselves in check. You had the highly productive running back for most of the season in Brooks. You had Mitchell, you had Worthy, and they had you know no table talk. But are all of our tight end too, Jatavian Sanders, whose production also dipped this year based on what he did last year, just because they had so many dudes. So uh, yeah, I think that's a, it's a really really good one. Um, we're back to you, Ian. At the at the uh, what is this? The two o four. 
Yeah, I, I have a lot of good options here. And I don't even know – I know consensus does not love him. But when we look at this draft board right now, there's only one player who current has a projection in the top 20, and that's Keon Coleman. I'm going to take Keon <laughs> Coleman. At the, we're just taking turns snaking each other. It seems to be what yeah, it is. But Keon Coleman someone who, you know, it wasn't amazing at Florida State, and I would debate that he actually had a better year at Michigan State, at least in terms of his efficiency. What I mean by that is that Keon Coleman – uh, at Michigan State turned 21.4% target share into over 27% of his team's receiving yards, whereas this year he had a higher target share, but it only turned into 21.7% of Florida State's receiving yards. So it was a much less efficient season. I think part of that, we actually saw his peripherals in terms of his efficiency go down a little bit after Jordan Travis went out, which is totally fair. Quarterbacks contribute to some of those efficiency metrics. But I think here at the 204, you have a guy who's – projected top 20 pick right now in the first round and he was productive at two different schools there's still plenty of upside there and the nfl clearly feels a certain way about him that he's going to declare early so he's he's someone who i think is a pretty good grab here at 204 i i love i love keon coleman i took him a lot higher than this in in the last draft and i feel like it's one of those things maddie we talk about where people continually start to like poke holes in players where you start to like say the guy can't separate, blah, blah, blah. But like Ian said, he's going to be a first-round pick. He had double-digit touchdowns in his first year at Florida State, dropped three touchdowns at LSU. He's going to test really well. He's got elite alpha size, and he's 20 years old. So at the end of the day, we can get like real nitpicky, but he's going to check off a ton of boxes uh, for the NFL here. Um, I'm And guys, Matty Keewam, a little funny thing here. He almost played basketball for, for your guy Izzo at Michigan Mm -hmm. State, which is like super cool to think about. Like he's that level of an athlete. Uh, So yeah, I'm with Keon Coleman. I do think it's a little bit, he would have been my selection here if Ian didn't uh, snake me, but I'm going to stay at the wide receiver spot because every time we draft and we let this guy fall, he scores another touchdown. And this player also has elite alpha size. He also has elite pedigree coming from LSU and that's Brian Thomas. And Brian Thomas you know, the game without Malik Neighbors against Wisconsin in the bowl game, he gets two touchdown catches, goes for 100 yards. He had like the quietest 15 touchdown regular season in like the history of the SEC because Malik <laughs> Neighbors is such a dude. So like Brian Thomas, I think is going to have the draft capital. You're talking about a guy who put up this sort of numbers at LSU. Yeah, he played with Jaden Daniels, but so what? He still scored the touchdown. He still got checks a ton of boxes. And like I said, I think, you know, 6'4 wide receiver that scored this many touchdowns coming from the SEC that's going to get the NFL draft capital athletic enough. I think this is a fine value here. And I think after the NFL draft, I actually think he'll rise up some of these these rookie rankings. Nice pick here. So now I am up with the 206. And you both snake me. So thanks for giving me the double snake eyes right before I have to pick. Uh, but I'm just going to take someone who's high up in my running back board. I'm going to take Trey Benson, 6'1", 225 pounds. Um, had a down year in terms of his sta- his surface stats, but you know his PFF grade still above 85 in, in run grade. Uh, my 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 question for him is going to be his ability to catch passes. But at this point in our draft, I think we are pivoting from bell cow potential to first and second down workload type backs. Benson checks those boxes. The fact that he came out 
uh, declared for the draft already. Again, lends me to believe that the NFL likes the size, likes the speed, likes the potential production from Trey Benson. So I'm going to take him at the 206. Ian, anything to add on Brian Thomas or Trey Benson? Uh, I really liked the Brian Thomas pick. He was one that I debated. And when you looked at the board when you took him, of the draft projections, he was the only guy left with first-round draft projections. And like we brought up earlier, it's a late first that we're kind of looking at. So if he goes late first, again, those are a ton of juicy landing spots for a wide receiver. So I, I love the Brian Thomas pick there. And then Trey Benson, he's someone who I was debating in a, a few picks because he's someone we talked about draft capital projection. Right now, they kind of have him as a second-rounder. So even if I don't love the profile, and I'll be honest, I don't. He's I'm probably going to be below consensus. If you check out my 33rd team rankings, I have him quite low. But the thing keeping him afloat is that if an NFL team sinks second-round draft capital into him, we're going to like it. I mean, think of Zach Charbonnet. I didn't love the Charbonnet profile. I liked it a little bit more than Trey Benson. But he landed in possibly the worst possible landing spot. He still – but he went in the second round. He didn't really do too much this year because Kenneth Walker, for the most part, stayed on the field. And we're still talking about a top 25, top 30 dynasty running back. And this is in the second round of your, your one quarterback rookie draft. So I like I like both those picks there. But it kind of just goes to show how good these second round picks really are. Right. It's, lo- it's loaded for sure. Ian, where are you at here? We're at 19th overall pick right now. Yeah, shoot. I'm between two guys. I'm kind of torn. But – I'm just, I haven't taken this position. It's going to be the second guy that we take, probably the last guy at the position this draft that I'm just going to go with Jatavian Sanders. Oh, uh, you suck the gut. You missed. There's actually <laughs> I thought a he was going to fall to me. There's a future cast rule where only Matty Kiewim is allowed to take Jatavian Sanders. But go, go ahead, Ian. I, I love the pick. I feel like I, feel like I should have been briefed on this rule before we started. But <laughs> we drop rules in real time. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, house rules here. I, I should have known. That's like but, elbows, elbows, elbows. <laughs> but yes, Jatavian Sanders, is, yes, he had a down year, and we talked about the amount of weapons that Texas had. But one thing when you talk about down years relative to other positions, tight end prospects in general aren't super productive in college. That's why when you get rare ones like Brock Bowers, where they've always been productive, they are so highly sought after because it's not common when it comes to tight ends. What Jatavian Sanders has done is he's shown that he has a pretty high ceiling last year, putting up over a 17% target share on a team that still had dudes like Xavier Worthy. So it's it's not like Jatavian Sanders has been bad. And then right now I have a projected for a higher-end athleticism. When you mix solid productivity at a pretty young age, he's declaring early, and he should have solid athleticism on his side. These are the type of tight ends that you want to draft in the second round. Just think about the second round last year. Sam Laporta. I'm not saying they're going to be Sam Laporta, but Sam Laporta, Michael Mayer. There was plenty of tight ends. Even Dalton Kincaid snuck in there in super flex drafts at some points. There's there's tight ends where this profile is something, especially in one QB formats, I'm going to take, especially at a position where it may be not as scarce as it was last year, but it's still a scarce position. I want this level of upside at this position. Pick. I'm, it's a great pick and he's there's such a drop off between tight end two and tight end three and Sanders you know we're talking about a young player elite production when he was young like this is a difference maker at the tight end position for your dynasty team you could take him a little higher Maddie took him around the one two turn last time we drafted in single quarterback and I think that makes some sense I think he could land at the end of the first round here guys because some team might say I really want to take Sanders and make him my franchise tight end I don't want to mess around in this draft class where there's all these question marks and I could plug this kid in right away. So I love the pick. Um, 
I want to now I'm OTC here and I'm kind of torn between two running backs here. One is small and one is a bull. And I like them both a ton. Um, but I'm going to go with Audric Estime from, from Notre Dame. You're talking about a big time producer, 18 rushing touchdowns, a young player, big time uh, explosive plays. Talk about like the Duke game where he broke off the game winner. There's multiple games where he had just smash plays where he broke off long runs. So the big playability combined with the fact that I think he can take a beating at the next level and absorb volume. He's got the size. He was highly productive, 18 rushing touchdowns, a single season record for Notre Dame and the home run hitting ability. And I think the draft capital is going to be there. John Lobb, who's really tuned in, who Maddie and I have had on, uh, he swears estimate is going to go high in the NFL draft. He's flag planting him as a high draft capital guy. So I'm happy to get him right here. Um, it stinks because I'm not taking a couple of running backs who I think are very exciting right behind him, but I think this makes sense. This is the kind of guy that could be a multiple-season RB2 production guy for my dynasty teams. So you didn't snipe me there, Theo. You left me with the guy that I was hoping to find, Mr. Bucky Irving. There you go. Uh, That's right what, that was who I was between. That was a great pick. I, you know, there are some other receivers that I do like on the board that I would be conflicted based on my roster construction. But Bucky Irving, right now, when I look at him coming into the league, I do see a kid coming into the league as an early declare. He's coming in after his junior year, so he doesn't have to uh, come out. It seems like Oregon will continue to, you know, be a powerhouse, but he's deciding to come out. And he also had 60 targets and 54 receptions. And that was after 35 targets and 30 receptions. In 2022, his pass catching ability is elite, and um, I did say this at the top of the show where I do find like his his landing spot might be a little bit more fragile than some of the other running backs in this range, but the upside is there. And when you look at the 5'10", 195, we'll see how he runs, but seems to be a lot like James Cook, and we've seen how good he was down the stretch for the Bills. So if the draft capital is there, I don't think you'll get second-round draft capital based on this particular class, but if it's a third round, you can adjust it. Bucky Irving's my pick here, the 209. I, I love the pick. And Ian, you had Bucky Irving uh, high up as well. Want to share your thoughts on on Estime and, and also Irving? Well, unfortunately, I knew the second that I took Sanders at 207, that Estime and Irving, the two guys I liked, were not going to fall to 210 with you guys. I So I, I was already looking as if those two are off the board at who I'm going to take at 210. But yes, someone like Bucky Irving, get him some draft capital. And actually, I love what you said earlier. I almost have a little bit of pushback to what you said earlier, Maddie, about uh, his receiving ability and you know if he lands on a team that throws to the running back. Now, yes, there's some quarterbacks that chuck it down a little bit than others, but I think a lot of that is controlled by running backs. I mean, just look at the Carolina Panthers running back target rates at their quarterback when they had Christian McCaffrey. And now he's a very high end example versus they didn't. We can find it all over the board, you know, with Austin Eckler. Like when Austin Eckler's out and out, you don't see Justin Herbert chucking it down to Joshua Kelly, to Isaiah Spiller. They just aren't targeting the running back because the running back's not good in the receiving game. When you have someone like Bucky Irving, he's someone where as long as he gets draft capital, that tells me that the NFL, they know that he is a good pass catcher. And that's mm-hmm. why they want him, because they know that they can trust him in the receiving game. And that's going to up another level to, uh, you know, wh- whatever team he goes to, they will have probably an elite catcher, a pass catcher out of the backfield. So I love that pick right there. So here we are, the last three picks of the draft. And you might be wondering, why are they highlighted in green? Well, this is why the last pick that we each do, we usually do a sleeper. 
So this is your chance, Ian, to put someone on our listeners' radar that isn't particularly probably going to go at the end of the second, maybe goes in the third or even the fourth. But this is the player you put in this slot that you could talk about, shed light on, so our listeners come away with, ooh, I want to follow him throughout the process. I wasn't thinking about this guy. Who is your sleeper pick here at the 210? Now, I, I don't know how sleeper it is, but we talked about it earlier, and I think there's a lot of ways that this pick can go, and it could be one where we have this player isn't even in the 2024 draft. And I'm talking about Donovan Edwards because Donovan Edwards coming into 2024 was someone who I had marked down as a probable first-round target. But this year's been a bit disappointing. But one thing where you look at running back profiles where you could start to feel a little bit better, even if they're not great all around, is when it's a pass catcher. Now, yes, he hasn't been able to take a bulk of the load uh, or a bulk of the workload because of Blake Corum being there. But this was something where last year he actually had over 20% of the goal line carries uh, for the Michigan Wolverines alongside Corum. And he was handling their 40, uh, 30% of the team's carry percentage and turning that into 40% of the team's uh, rushing yards, again, with Blake Corum. So he's at least shown he's adequate as a rusher. But what gets me excited with Donovan Edwards, if he can get himself into like round three capital, is that he's someone who's been a pass catcher since the moment he stepped foot in Michigan. He's never had lower than an 8% target share uh, during his time. And this is someone who, if he does declare, and we get the declare, that gives me a hint that he probably can get that round three draft capital. So I know it's not the biggest sleeper, but it's also someone who might not even be in this draft class. If it wasn't for the national championship, people would probably be quite low on him compared to how they were just the other day. Definitely. I love it. And and again, you know, this is not a sleeper. This is a guy that we've talked about before, but I'll give you, I'll give two names, Maddie, and I hope I'm not sniping you, but I'll give you one for the board and then another guy that that I think I, I'm going to have in my next rankings. But Jacob Cowing, uh, I'm excited for him to kind of move up in terms of he's going to the Senior Bowl. I think that we saw so much production from like Tank Dell. You're going to start seeing like the like the Tank Dell, Jacob Cowing, uh, you know, comparisons because he's going to be very small, projects as a as a slot guy, but he's a mega producer. And I think that he could have a week at the Senior Bowl where he really, really blows up. And then the other guy who I kind of I didn't have in my top 24, but I mentioned him as like a guy who could rise up. But I thought maybe there was a chance he returned to Clemson. I think Will Shipley is going to get some buzz because Will Shipley, we start talking about Will Shipley was a early, early contributor to Clemson. And then like we talked about with some of these other backs, Will Shipley does something that correlates immediately the NFL. He can catch passes out of the backfield at a very high level. So I think Shipley's going to get a little more buzz. And I think his draft capital is a little bit more locked in than some people think. I think he's going to end up at like the fourth round at the lowest. I think he's going to get that that sort of range in the draft where he could sneak in at the end of day two, probably goes at the beginning of day three, and he's going to end up in a, in a spot where he's going to get drafted in this sort of range in the draft. So, until, you know, in good fashion, we are the host of the shows. We do get to make up the rules as we go. So to take two guys here at the end, I, I'm okay with that. Sorry. You know, I, I, sorry. I was I had two guys on my mind. No, no. I think I, I'm okay with that. I think that this is what we need to do because I think at the end of these drafts, you know, some of these guys at the top, you know, might be a bit repetitive. Not necessarily a bad thing, but we, how, we're we going to talk about – Roma Dunze, we're going to talk about Malik Neighbors and Marvin Harrison every single time. So we want to cover a lot of these sleepers. So I'm going to go super deep sleeper here. I'm going to go super, super deep. And I'm going to go with someone that we're going to see in Mobile. I'm going to go with Rasheen Ali from Marshall. Um, 
of course, he will not have a second round draft capital in our rookie drafts. Um, he will probably have day three or day, you know, day four type draft capital in the NFL. Uh, but what I'm excited about when it comes to Rasheen Ali is his size, six feet, 210 pounds. And he has been a producer at a, a bit a smaller school uh, two of the last three years. So he had a medical red shirt in 2022, but he did come back in only three games, have over 200 rushing yards and was the MVP in his team's bowl game. And he was a mega producer in 2021, accruing over 1700 all purpose yards. And then last year, 210 carries, over 1,100 rushing yards, 15 rushing touchdowns, and added another uh, receiving touchdown. And he's covered the uh, receiving threshold. I, I kind of peak it at 20. I get really excited at 25. He had 27 receptions last year, 46 receptions in 2021. So I think he's going to be a, a, a skillful back, someone that I'm very, very excited to see down in Mobile. And yeah, we may have to temper expectations going forward. This is not someone I would recommend uh, necessarily throwing all your eggs into the basket of. But I think this is somebody that uh, if you have your fourth round picks in your rookie drafts, this is someone you want to see throughout the process because he was a producer in college and he has the requisite size that could get him on an NFL roster and get him NFL touches. So just to rip through uh, our top 24 picks here, once again, if you're listening on the podcast, Marvin Harrison Jr. goes at the one. Malik Neighbors goes two. Brock Bowers goes three. Trevion Henderson goes four. Roma Dunse goes five. Braylon Allen goes six. Caleb Williams goes seven. Troy Franklin goes eight. Ameka Agbuka goes nine. Jaden Daniels goes 10. Adonai Mitchell goes 11. Drake May goes 12. That was our first round. And then the second round goes with Jonathan Brooks at the 201. Blake Corum at the 202. Xavier Worthy, Worthy at the 203, Keon Coleman at the 204, Brian Thomas at the 205, Trey Benson at the 206, Jatavian Sanders at the 207, Audric Estime at the 208, Bucky Irving at the 209, and then our three kind of off-the-radar guys, Ian Miller drops Donovan Edwards at the 210, Matt, uh, I dropped Jacob Cowing at the 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 211, and then the, the, the 211B, was Will Shipley, and then we go back to Matty Kiwum, who drops Rasheen Ali, dropping a deep sleeper for, you know, deep enough for Mobile Alabama Senior Bowl, guy to keep an eye on. Ian, let everybody know what you have coming out of the 33rd team. Yeah, so I got my wide receiver rookie rankings dropping tomorrow on the 33rd team site, and the tight end rankings dropping on Friday, and the quarterbacks and running backs are already up there, and then next week, we'll have a special episode where we will rip through the entire rankings, uh, and kind of one thing that I was really excited to do was, one thing I do is the range of outcomes with these players and create prospect buckets, so at this point, what I was doing was putting what's the probability they have an RB1 season at the next level, given their current profile. Obviously, there's still some to change, draft capital and that stuff. But I think it gives a really good indicator when you can see, hey, Travion Henderson has a 75% chance in an RB1 season. Kind of makes you feel about the board a little differently. I think it's an exciting project uh, that uh, is coming out here soon. Really highly recommend Ian's work at the 33rd team. It's excellent. It's free. Check it out. Matty Kiwum, let everybody know what you have coming up on Blue Chips. Blue Chips, like I said, episode dropping this week. We're going to be exploring the transfer portal. So in your Debbie leagues, you might want to get excited about some of that stuff. But we got a lot to cover uh, for the 2024 class and beyond over on Blue Chips. 
Yeah, and check out uh, Dynasty Life. I'm going to have Alfredo Brown of Football Guys on. We're going to talk about a couple of Dynasty buys and sells to make right now. We've got you covered everything Dynasty, uh, everything 2024 class. Anything you want, we got it here at Player Profiler. Stick with us all year. Happy New Year, and uh, let's get it. Let's enjoy the NFL playoffs, and let's get ready for this Dynasty offseason. Let's get it. We'll see you guys next time. Peace. Hey, I want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. It's important to me that all of our media be free. This is only possible because of you allowing a true independent sports media enterprise to thrive unlike any other in the business. So please subscribe to the All In Package to continue to make all this possible to ensure that all of our stats, information, data, content is available to you, especially you, the people that get the site and get the show.